Hello, and welcome to the podcast for the June 2012 issue of The Lancet Neurology. I'm Nikolai Humphreys, and I'm joined by my colleague, Heather Brown. In a moment, we're going to focus on a review about diabetic neuropathy. But before that, let's talk about some other papers that feature in the issue. Heather, what have we got this month? Well, as well as the review on diabetic neuropathy, we have reviews on aquaporin-4 in neuromyelitis optica, on non-fluent agromatic primary progressive aphasia, and on tertiary mechanisms of brain damage in cerebral palsy. Thanks, Heather. Those are the reviews. What about original research this month? This month we have a randomised trial of intravenous immune globulin versus intravenous methylprednisolone for chronic inflammatory demyelinating polyradiculoneuropathy, or CIDP. We have a sub-analysis of the Aristotle trial looking at whether the effects of apixaban versus warfarin in patients with atrial fibrillation differ between patients who have had a previous stroke or transitive ischemic attack and those who haven't. And we have a sub-analysis of the Vitatops trial looking at whether the effects of B vitamin supplementation in patients with previous stroke or transient ischemic attack are affected by use of antiplatelet drugs. And what's the editorial this month? What are you guys looking at? The editorial is on the need for countries to prepare for the rising incidence of dementia. It follows on from a recent report called Dementia, a Public Health Priority, which was a joint initiative from WHO and Alzheimer's Disease International. The report provides new estimates of how bad the situation is now and how bad it's expected to be, for example, with more than 115 million people worldwide estimated to have dementia in 2050. But the report also provides a huge amount of other new information, for example, on stigma and the needs of carers, and it details dementia plans and strategies in the few countries that have them already. So it's a report that could be really helpful for governments and policymakers who want their countries or regions to be better prepared for the impending dementia crisis. Thank you for that overview, Heather. Now, let's go to the main feature. We are going to hear from Brian Callahan from the University of Michigan talking to Richard Lane about a review on diabetic neuropathy, which is in this month's issue. Dr. Callahan, many thanks indeed for talking to The Lancet Neurology. You're one of the authors of a review in the June issue of TLN, and this is looking specifically at diabetic neuropathy. You say that up to half of people with diabetes will actually develop neuropathy. Can you just start by describing briefly the clinical characteristics of diabetic neuropathy? The most common type of neuropathy in diabetes is a distal symmetric polyneuropathy. Distal meaning it starts in the feet and works its way up uh, the leg before starting in the fingertips. Symmetric same side to side and polyneuropathy meaning it affects the sensory fibers as well as the the motor nerves. Because of that, it gives you numbness, tingling, pain, any combination of those symptoms, and can even lead to weakness. There are many other types of diabetic neuropathy as well. Pretty much any kind of nerve injury can happen in diabetes. This obviously concerns damage to the peripheral nerves. Do we know what causes that damage in the peripheral nervous system? Well, that seems like a very simple question. It has a very complicated answer, and I think it's one that we keep learning more and more about. We know that high sugars play a role and the flux of high sugars through the different pathways that metabolize it. High sugars also can attach themselves to different proteins and lipids and nucleic acids, etc., and also cause damage. And a lot of times, all these pathways lead to increased inflammation and oxidative injury, but we're also learning that there are things outside of just the high sugars as well. You also mentioned in the paper this important issue of glucose control and how that can offset neuropathy, particularly in type 1 patients, but not so well with type 2 diabetes. Why do you think that is? 
Well, I think that's really an unanswered question. I think that a lot of, for many years we've thought about these diseases as being almost the same thing, but you know, there's a lot of differences between type 1 and type 2 diabetes. For 1 and type 1 diabetes, you just don't you know, produce enough insulin, whereas in type 2, you have a lot of insulin, it's just not working effectively. Furthermore, in type 2 diabetes, there's all sorts of other health problems that tend to go along with type 2 diabetes, such as the metabolic syndrome. So I think this is really an unanswered question, and there are more uh, questions than answers. Indeed, and that leads on actually to my next question, because you do talk a little bit about the metabolic syndrome. Can you first of all just define that syndrome and how you think it could contribute to to, um, diabetic neuropathy? The metabolic syndrome is different clinical factors that tend to cluster together, and there's five of them. One is uh, impaired glucose tolerance of some variety. One is high triglycerides. One is low HDL cholesterol. Another is obesity. And uh, finally, high blood pressure. So those are the five components. And we're really just starting to understand how or if these affect the nerves. So for instance, obesity can lead to high free fatty acid levels, which can cause a cascade of inflammation and oxidative injury as well. So a lot of the same common final pathways, but how we get there and which are the most important is something that we need to figure out. Sean, what about treatment options for neuropathy? So unfortunately, we don't have a lot of treatment options for neuropathy other than identifying the underlying condition. So for diabetic neuropathy, it's treating the underlying diabetes that becomes most important. What's underrecognized is the pain that a lot of patients with neuropathy have, and we do have many options for treating that pain. Uh, But as far as medicines that actually treat the underlying nerve injury, um, we have uh, limited things in our arsenal. In terms of future directions, do you see any new approaches, both in terms of prevention and treatment? Well, that's a great question. Uh, I, I hope so, because, uh, you know, I think there's a big hole where, you know, right now, other than controlling the sugars, which we, we know is only part of the, the answer, we don't have great treatments. And so I think learning more about the metabolic syndrome and how th- those components might play a role might lead to new th- therapies as well as other ways of addressing the inflammation and oxidative injury and injury to mitochondria. There's lots of different potential mechanisms that can be targets for new treatments. And so I'm very hopeful, but, you know, there's still a lot to be learned. So in terms of a a future agenda for research, are there specific types of research programs that could address those future issues, do you think? Is there a way of looking at it or a way of researching it? One is to define, you know, which components of the metabolic syndrome play a role, if any, in the injury of nerves? And if so, you know, having clinical trials addressing whether treatment of those components actually improve patients with neuropathy, as well as uh, identifying these other targets and uh, developing therapies so that we can really give patients a disease-modifying therapy to either prevent or treat current neuropathy. A final thought to conclude, given that, as you've pointed out in this interview, there is so much unexplained work to be done in this area. What are the kind of main messages now in terms of prevention and treatment? Well, you've said there's little limited treatment available, so presumably prevention must be the key until we have a better idea as to how we might be able to treat it. Yeah, so I mean, it it plays into, you know, trying to do all we can to delay the onset or prevent the onset of diabetes in the first place. We know from the Diabetes Prevention Program that diet and exercise can prevent people with prediabetes from going on to have diabetes. So you're right, prevention becomes a big part because once diabetes is established, it's hard to prevent the nerve injury. It's a very important area and we're going to 
have to find out a lot more about it. But in the meantime, that's Dr. Brian Callahan from University of Michigan. Many thanks indeed for talking to The Lancet Neurology. Thank you so much for having me. And that just about wraps things up. We will be back in a month's time for the July issue of The Lancet Neurology. Until then, thanks to my colleague Heather Brown for joining me in the studio. See you next month.